0: Week on Dig Me Out with your hosts Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi.
1: Jay, somehow we have survived twenty sixteen. <laughs> Well,
0: technically, it's not over yet, so it's not good, too.
1: Okay. Knock on some big Ikea wood, Jay, at, the, at your desk. <laughs> uh, this is the first episode of our 2017 season, se- the season seven, lucky number seven, Jay. It's all season good of dreams. from here. Season of dreams. We have our first of many, Jay. Well, many is a strong term. A first of our few... 250-level Patreon subscribers, the first person to sign up at that level back in December of 2015, back when we were young and youthful and so many people had died, Jay, and uh, <laughs> the world was still spinning on its axis correctly. To join, uh, to uh, to help us with their pick, joining us, our Patreon subscriber and listener who has joined us before. This is not a... This is not a uh, a rookie to the show he's been on before Mr. Scott Hallgrim Scott, welcome back
2: Oh, Thanks for having me, congratulations on six full seasons and uh, what's sure to be a, a great seven and I apologize if, if it was me signing up for uh, your Patreon subscriber that caused, you know David Bowie and Prince <laughs> and on and on and on <laughs> I won't take credit for
1: Lemmy, that was 2015 Yeah, yeah. That, one, that one was, uh like the the floodgates opened after that. Like yeah, once really Lemmy did. once Lemmy passed it was like, "All right, start knocking them down. Florence yeah. Henderson, you're next."
2: If he can so, go, anybody can go. Exactly. Nobody's safe.
1: Although
2: except think, Keith Richards.
1: Except Keith Richards. <laughs> Fair enough. He's already dead, but we just don't know it.
0: <laughs> One of the best best tweets I've seen recently, somebody said, "What kind of world are we going to leave to Keith Richards?" <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's that's a good question. So, I wish I
0: could credit it, but it, it gave me a chuckle.
1: Before we get to Scott's pick, I want to thank two people. Number one, I need to thank Jeff Loney, Lone, who just joined us at Patreon at the $1 level. Thank you, Jeff, for joining us. We appreciate you coming on board and helping us uh, finance our dreams and wishes, keeping the Dig Me Out podcast rolling. And also need to thank Steve Muszynski, who was a one dollar subscriber for the last year he bumped up to 250 he said I'm taking the plunge I want a review after 12 months oh yeah so he 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 did the um, the soft opening where he was like I think <laughs> I think I'm on board and of course Steve joined us same episode that you did when we did the uh, short round of uh, reviews for releases in uh, spring and summer of uh, 2016. Scott, yours was Voidvod, am I right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. That's off the top of my head. I didn't write that down. Because wow. I don't take good <laughs> notes. Impressive. But, what I, but <laughs> what I do try to do is listen to the albums that people suggest. And, Scott, you picked Mr. Bungle, Disco Volante. This is one where we could have, uh, you know, Mike, Mike Patton is the person that people are going to know if they're not familiar with Mr. Bungle. And he's been a lot involved in a number of bands. So there was a number of options for us to over the years get to a Mike Patton related uh, outfit. This just happens to be the first one because we never made it to Faith No More, the band that people are probably more familiar with. So first off, yeah. Why I, did think, you pick this? I think you
2: had them I think well, I think I think you mentioned Mike Patton in a, um, like one hit wonder, which is a huge Faith No More fan. Um, uh, you know, offended me, quote unquote, offended me. But, um, <laughs> but then you, you laid out a good case for like, well, these were the criteria you were used. And I was like, okay, fine. You know, <laughs> but so why did I pick this? Um, yeah. this, this is one of my two, um, favorite albums of all time. And, uh, you know, to be honest, there's just not been enough, uh, there's not been enough Mike Patton on the show. So
1: that's, that's respectable. Uh, there hasn't been hardly any, and, uh, we like to get to everybody. That's the goal. That's why we have no end date for this podcast, so that we can eventually get to everybody from the 90s.
2: So this is the first of three Mr. Bungle episodes.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> possibly. Uh, but we have to get to everybody at least once first. So That's right. That's right. I remember that that's, rule. That's the rule. Uh, we have broken that rule, actually, a I couple know. of times. but. We we can break our own rules. That's the it's like parenting. You can always break your own rules. Um,
2: big people, big people get to break the rules.
1: Exactly. We need to talk just briefly so that people are caught up. The history of Mr. Bungle. I'm just going to do some basics and then we can fill it in more as we go.
0: History of the band uh, formed
1: in 1985 in Eureka, California. Band members were all still in high school. Uh, was originally Trevor Dunn. Trey Spruance.
2: I, I've always pronounced it Spruance.
1: Spruance. Theo Lengel. And You're, is that right?
2: Your guess is as good as mine. I'm okay.
1: Theo. It's L E N G Y E L. Jed Watts and Mike Patton. And then Watts was replaced by Hans Wagner and then by Danny Heifetz. And then uh, in 89, Clinton McKinnon joined the band. So they did a bunch of VPs and, and sort of self released demo type stuff um, before signing to um, Warner Brothers. And their first album came out self-titled August 91. The one that we're reviewing came out four years later, Disco Volante, which has a tie-in to a James Bond movie the Title. Uh, came out in October of '95. Then the fourth, or excuse me, the third and final album came out four years after that. California was released in July of 1999. Of course, as I mentioned there's the band members have connections to bands like Faith No More, Tomahawk, Phantomas, uh, a couple other ones that I'm not familiar with, so I'm not going to mention them. But if we need to, we will. So, let me ask you, Jay, first. Had you listened to any Mr. Bungle before diving into this?
0: Uh, I had attempted to. I I was a fairly big Faith No More fan. Um, and they were a band... Well, I mean, Faith No More brought lots of different people together. you know. So they were huge when I was in junior high and high school. Okay. And they were the, one of those bands that, you know, the Art Kids and the Jocks and everybody could kind of get on the same page about. Now so quickly as he started doing stuff with mr bungle and some of the other projects you know you you want to check out obviously if you like faith no more what these bands are about so um i remember some of the more uh (laughs) some some of the friends i had who were maybe a little bit more uh on the art spectrum uh were definitely into this band i i couldn't get into it at the time I, i didn't get it so um, I think I had sampled some things here and there, but other than that, I, I really didn't listen uh, beyond the. I think this uh, the 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 record with the clown on it. I don't know what that one is. That was that's the one the debut. I remember. Yeah, that's yeah. the one I remember the most.
1: I have never listened to Mr. Bungle before this episode. Uh, I knew the name, and I listened to Plenty of Faith No More, but I just never made the time to listen to it. And the same thing goes for all of other all the other bands that mike patton is involved in i've pretty much just stuck to faith no more and have never listened to anything else that uh he's done i don't know why because i like faith no more but it's just been a massive blind spot scott how did you first discover mr bungle
2: well like pretty much everybody the first exposure i had to mr bungle was mike patton wearing the mr bungle t-shirt in faith no more because as you described he was in mr bungle you know before he was in uh, faith More, right uh, you know that there's there's no reason that this band should be should have been signed to to warner brothers even in the go-go 90s it was you know they, they didn't fit at all but i remember i was sitting you talk about the art kids and the jock kids and i was sitting in the lounge at my arts high school reading uh an issue of rip magazine and then the sidebar advertisement was for the 1991 self-titled album and <clears throat> jamie wolford Uh, of the stereo who you reviewed um, and I went to high school with just shouted out like that band is amazing. And, um, and he knew I was a a big faith in the more fan. So then, you know, as we did when we were 15, 16, 17 in the nineties, I just went out and bought the CD completely unheard and, uh, and fell in love with it. And, um, and then, and then when this album came out in uh, and yeah, I loved it. And I, I saw them in concert on that, on that tour um, two days before um, seeing Pearl Jam on the 10 tour, which was an interesting show because I mean, just to give a, a sense of the time, you know, this is like March of 92 and um, they had booked that show at a, you know, a, a decent sized club in in Minneapolis. And um, they booked it before 10 blew up. Um, I think the tickets sold out in something like three minutes or something like that. And, and so so it was March of ninety two and then and then for this album it was I was uh, with the friends and we had bonded over similar tastes in music and and he had gotten the, the new Mr. Bungle disco volante and, and played it for me and pretty much ever since that first listen, this has been one of my one of my two favorite albums.
1: And you saw them how many times on this tour in a row?
2: On this tour it was uh, three shows in three cities and three nights. It was um, uh, Minneapolis, uh, Madison, and Chicago with Melt Banana opening up. Um, so, the, so that by that point, I'd seen them four times, and then I saw them on the, on the California tour. I saw them in eight shows and eight cities and eight nights. So that's twelve, and then I saw them on New Year's, New Year's two thousand ninety-nine, two thousand. Um, so I guess I saw them thirteen, thirteen times overall.
1: So I'm curious because you know bands like. The Dead and and Fish and some other sort of jam-type bands have loyal followings that will follow them around to shows. But I've never spoken to anyone who's done that. What sort of planning goes into seeing a band eight times in a row? That seems excessive to me only because I'm (laughs) old now. I mean, when I was 20 or or maybe 25 or something like that, I, I maybe would have been down with that. But even then, like, I would assume they don't play the same set every night because that would be repetitive. So are you going with the anticipation that they're going to be doing a crazy different set each night?
2: Yeah, I mean, we go with that anticipation. And the set is it's not as different as probably Dead or Fish, but it's more different than, you know, most most bands, even a a Pearl Jam who mixes it up uh, pretty good. They, they, They mix it up pretty good. You knew, you know, what six or seven songs were going to be there. You didn't know what order they were going to be in and then you, you didn't know what the other six or seven songs were going to be. And they they do a lot of covers, just like like Faith No More they they do in, incredible covers. They covered um, in Chicago, they covered Lover Boys Working for the Weekend. And you know like their like Faith No More's cover of Easy or War Pigs, they're almost like more true to the original than the original is. Yeah. And and it ends up being even better, and that's. Um, I know you had an episode, I think, with the author of "My Band Is Your Life" or whatever that book is, uh, and he just hated working for the weekend. Somebody on your podcast hated working for the weekend, but I love that song, and it's all <laughs> because Mr. Bungle rocked it at the Metro in Chicago, um, just incredibly. I mean, I mean, it just, you know, Mike Patton can put so much showmanship into a performance. Uh, but as but as far as like how much planning is involved, I mean, you need to have a friend you know you can handle that much car with you know right. and uh, and my buddy and i we could but you know we were we were definitely at each other's throats at a certain time um but you know in 99 i went to, you know one of the shows was in toronto and i didn't even need a passport so it didn't take it didn't take that much planning you just had to buy the tickets ahead of time um and you had to yell at ticketmaster for not getting you the tickets soon enough and then when you got to Iowa City, and despite Ticketmaster's objections, the, tic- the bar in Iowa City did not have a will call uh, window. Then you had to make friends with the drummer Danny Heifetz at the bar by asking him if he wanted to talk about baseball, which he did. Uh, he didn't want to talk about music. And then you befriend him, and he says, OK, go see if you can get in. If not, I'll get you in.
1: <laughs> That's a good strategy.
2: <laughs> it worked out well. You, you know, social engineered um, then, him.
1: That's, yeah, a, we, <laughs> that's what they warned me during my, uh, my IT uh, trainings at work once a year. Don't get social engineered so somebody tries to steal your password. That's uh, that's what you did to him. That's a good job.
2: I totally did. He was wearing a Mets hat, and he was watching the Mets play the Cubs. And I said, uh, are they going to beat the Braves this year? Uh, this was 99. And he just turned to me and grunted. And then I gave it you know, 20 seconds, and he turned to me and said, you want to talk about music? And I was like, yeah, let's talk about music. He goes, okay, we're going to talk about music. (laughs) Nice.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Um, Or no, baseball, baseball. No, the whole thing was, you want to talk about baseball. He didn't want to talk about
1: music. Right, exactly. Gotcha. So let's get into the record. That's what we're here for. We're here to talk on our first episode of 2017, season seven. We're here to talk about Mr. Bungle. We're going to talk about what we liked and what we didn't like about this record. Jay, I'm going to start with you. Since you had some familiarity, I'm curious about your evolution, Jay, because you said that you had listened and not quite gotten it back in your teenage, you know, rocking the uh, the football mullet back in the in the days. <laughs> mm. so, so tell me something you liked yeah. about it now that you've re-listened to it.
0: Uh, we're going to have to shake up the format of this episode, okay. I think. I need Scott to tell me what all the what I didn't get then, and I'm still not getting now. So, uh, I think in high school it's very much like you like what you like, and you know if you listen to something you didn't quite like, you know whatever you moved on, and then there became factions of well you just you don't get it or whatever. So many years later, I I I really do want to get it, and this is a band that um is so eclectic and so almost schizophrenic that I, I find it difficult to grasp onto anything because the moment you do, it changes. I, I mean, if there's something good to be said that just the, the ability to do that. And I, and then one of the things I'm really curious about is how in the world do they do that live? Um, it, it, it just sh- shifts on a dime from metal to jazz or lounge or I don't even know like Latin music. Um, first off, what, I guess what what appealed to you as somebody who got in this probably around the same age as me And then how did they do this live? I think that's was the most fascinating question for me
2: Boy, there's a lot there. Um, You know, I think I I was I was wondering. um, I kind of predicted um, that that response. um, (laughs) And I've been been thinking a lot of I've been thinking a lot about that. There's like, because oh, I've had friends ask me, especially like, how do you listen to that first album? Um, Because the first album is filled with like, there's like a three to five minute sample of them just running around on train tracks like late at night, whispering and the key you know like what i told that person was was like you just have to let that stuff pass over you and grab onto the the grooves when they hit them and then eventually everything kind of fills in around it you know and when i and when i listen to this album you know one of the things i have down for what i like is like all the genres and um i mean i just love how they they flip from yeah country to doom metal to to yeah, to Tango. Um, they're just all over the place. And um as I was listening this week, I um, realized in a way that I had never had before how frequently they switch. Um you know it's funny you mentioned Fathomas. Really? <laughs> yeah Yeah, no, I, I, I knew they were all over the place, but I didn't yeah, yeah. it was like every ninety to hundred seconds they were they were switching yeah. like that. It it sounds it sounds fluid to me. Um hmm. You know, I, I listened to the Shudder to Think album, uh, Pony Express record, I think maybe a year or two before you guys got to it. So I was, you know, I was older. And I think, well, I mean, I think I listened to that 30 times before I finally was like, okay, I kind of get this. But I don't think it, it sunk in the way it did for, say, a 20 year old who listened to that record. Um, I, 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 you know, I have pet theories that like the neurons just coin our. Uh, aren't quite wired the same way to mm-hmm. let, yeah, kind of music work those neural neural pathways the way they do. Um, but, it, but it all sounds, you know, as I was listening and I was like, wow, they, they really are all over the place. It all sounds just completely musical and like, correct to me, the way the samples come in, the way the, the oddball instruments that only have, you know, four seconds on the entire album. Like I'm, t- I totally expect it. And it's, it's totally there for me. Um, yeah i i don't know if the, it, and 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 the other thing is that their albums are so different so like what you first tried to listen to and didn't get in high school was the first album and mm-hmm. like the the that's very funky very very horn based and then it has all those weird samples in it and then and again those songs were written when they were in high school right and this is a much more mature band and and could we just appreciate like the fact that they do pull it off live with these three you know They've had a lot of different members, but, like Trace Bruance, Trevor Dunn, and Mike Patton were in the band the whole time. And those three guys came out of Eureka, California to be able to orchestrate this kind of music and and pull it off live, I think is a testament to something I don't know, just the wonder of humanity
0: well, I think that's uh, it's tough to get on the record because. Not only do they like, sure to think, you know, they have these dramatic switches, sure to think, like, they keep the format of, you know, the four guys. This maybe is the format of the four guys, but the instruments shall dramatically change on the record, or at least the sounds that it, it becomes difficult to even project, like, how much the band is. Like, is this one person, like, with a keyboard? Is this a full band in a room? Like, you don't get any sense of how any of this is made there's no reveal for me uh, in mm-hmm. terms of when you listen to the record uh, live does it um i mean I, uh, you've seen them many times so i would imagine you, you you feel that they're good live is it does i guess d- does seeing them live make it gel better so that when you go back and listen to the record do you have a point of reference then
2: um i don't know if i'd say that because i can well for me it- I would say no, but because I connected with the records so immediately, mm. um, you know, live. I would say, I mean, I mean, Trace Bruance is amazing. You know, he did guitar on Faith Morris King for a Day um, the album. They they pulled him um, from Mr. Bungle when they when they fired Jim Martin. So and and you know, he's obviously using a ton of pedals. You know, there's a lot of guitar in there that doesn't sound quite like guitar, and he's just mm. a, he's just a wizard. And then um, and then there is a lot of Of knob twiddling and um you know mike patton's setup is you know he's got like a a keyboard in front of him and then like a rack on either side each rack has two to three boxes on it you know which doesn't make it you know i don't know um some people don't like knob twiddling it's not like um it's not like he's stationary the whole time he's definitely putting on an extremely dynamic show but but yeah, a lot of it is recorded stuff, and he knows what button to hit at what time to get it to get it to happen. Like they had two percussionists on the on the '95 tour. They had uh, Danny Heifetz um, uh, and uh, William Wynant. He's in the liner notes of this too, and he did you know gong and and bongos and, and all kinds of other other percussion. And then you know they've got uh, a horn player. I think they had on the '91 tour. They had I remember a horn section of three people um theo this was kind of he didn't really do much on this album but they had bear and theo and then i think even john zorn toured with them on that 91 tour um so it's a it's a big it's a big ensemble and a lot of not twiddling i don't know if that helps or not
0: so tim what were what were your impressions if you've never heard the band before
1: yeah so i don't really have a point of reference because i've never really listened to like zappa um I, i tended to have mostly tended to way or to stay away or not necessarily cause I, I'm like uh, turned off by it. Cause I have heard stuff that I like, but I don't get into a lot of experimental music, which is where I guess I would kind of put this. There were parts of it where I was intrigued and I think I, I hear what you're saying, Jay with I th- it doesn't sound like a band per se because it's so radically different from song to song, but I felt like on certain songs where they were shorter and they kind of stayed within sort of a format for most of the song, those tended to work for me. Uh, Even if they're bizarre, even if Mike Patton is singing in like sort of a nonsense vocal, they still kind of like desert search for techno Allah or chemical marriage or some of the the stuff that is just sort of built around one sort of central theme. They might throw some curveballs in there where I sort of got lost were songs like, um carry stress in the jaw where it just felt like i was listening to i don't know if you guys remember when billy corgan and the pumpkins put out that box set of singles for the aeroplane flies high there was like a 40 minute long track of just guitar riffs like edited together and it was like mm. all these demos that he had done there were full songs but he didn't want to release all the demos of the full songs so he just cut like 10 second snippets of every guitar riff he had written (laughs) Mm. and they were all like it was death metal it was jazz it was everything and it just kept changing and changing and changing and changing and there was no rhyme or reason and like that's what that reminded me of It's not necessarily to me a song, it is musical and there is a strong musicality behind it, but it doesn't work to work in the same way that the shorter, more concise for them songs work, even when they do throw some oddball changes. Because I like you know, we started to think they throw some oddball changes in there, but from song to song, they sound like the same band, you sound, they sound like the four guys who are the band whereas this on the things that worked and i thought were cool even though they were disparate they seemed to work for me it just seemed like when we got into the longer songs whether it was the bends as well or the last track those longer tracks tended to me work against what the overall record was cuz i don't mind a song i don't mind a band that's eclectic and from song to song maybe goes, you know, off the rails and does some stuff that is totally unexpected. When you do that within the same song 40 times, then I start to get a little bit like, okay, this is, it's almost like showing off in a way that I'm like, uh, okay, I I recognize you guys are amazing musicians. You've clearly mastered every possible sub genre from bossa nova to doo-wop to surf rock to whatever you 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 can do it all, but like to me the it's just the longer songs that didn't work as opposed and so you know the one thing I liked if I was gonna go down that road is what they do as musicians its is amazing, and I liked hearing that because we didn't we haven't really covered that at all, even though that's a part of you know a, a section of 90s music um but on the flip side, the one thing I didn't like is when it got. When it, I felt like it ha- hampered the idea of what a song is, which maybe is the point to them, uh, if somebody wants to verify that or not, <laughs> is that yeah, they're I deconstructing mean, I, I mean, what a song so- actually is.
2: Yeah, I don't think, like, you know, it's what you mentioned, I mean, I have, I have some of the similar notes, you know, like Desert Search for Technoala. And, like, that's the first one that, you know, I think could have been, you know, I mean, it comes even close to being a single, which, I mean, I guess kind of semantically goes for what you're going with with you know song and yeah you know like Violins of Domestica after school special those aren't yeah I don't I don't think those are songs per se. I mean I think of the whole um the whole album as you know kind of a suite kind of a, a work in itself um and the bends I think of as a suite within a suite and you know you know this is so rich this is so full like this is like, you know, I, I went to this one time I went to this Thai restaurant in Chicago. I think it was called Arun's or something like that. And, and and it had like an 18 course tasting menu. Right. And and it comes out and the food is so dramatic. But the but the course is so small that you're like, oh, I can handle 18 courses of this. And by the 18th course held by the 15th course, you're thinking like this is still delicious. I'm still enjoying this. But I am full in my mouth, like my neurons from my tongue to my brain are full. Like, they cannot take anymore. And by the time you get to the bands, I can totally appreciate that, that that's where you are, you know. I, I'm surprised you you said that about Merry Go Bye Bye, because I think that's very song-like, except for that hidden track on the end, you know. But I think, um, but I like to put that, I like to put Merry Go Bye Bye on um on mixes. I think it's pretty accessible.
1: I think, I guess I thought that was all one song with just a lot of, I didn't, I, I should have realized that this was a a case of a 90s hidden track i just thought that they were just messing with us and that was the song
2: yeah and i think it's almost like a um i think it's kind of a spit in the face to to hidden tracks because they because the 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 random percussion you know and the it's all on tape and stuff just seems so dumb and yet there's these parts where they put these samples in and again like to me it sounds really musical so i think it's almost like you know just kind of elbowing hidden tracks aside and then saying like okay but we can do some cool stuff with this of hidden tracks there's a legitimately hidden track on this album um you mentioned carry stress in the jaw and about halfway through that song things switch from what before it might have been a more conventional song to um you know there's that grandpa simpson voice saying like i know the secret song now um they didn't tell me they kicked me out of the band and all that stuff that is on the um so on the you know what spotify or whatever you listen to and on the cd and on the cassette that just comes after carry stress on the jaw um it's actually called the secret song or sometimes it's called spy but it they double grooved the record for that track so you could um, i remember on the forums in the day people were like what are you people talking about Grandpa simpson voice and they're like it comes right after carry stress on the jaw and and there was these arguments and then people found that if you just random you had to randomly drop the needle on the record to get that groove to play but if you just played it from start to finish it would skip right past it wow yeah i heard of that yeah so so and then there's a story um you can get all this like bunglefever.com is probably the best place to to get all <laughs> these details but 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 it was like um, uh, somebody so so the person doing that the grandpa simpson voice is i think trevor and Trevor didn't know about the song until, like, he just happened to stumble across it, and then so he recorded that vocal track over it, and then they kept the vocal t- track secret from Mike until, like, basically the day it was released. Anyway, so so, but the, the double grooving is something that I've never heard of um, in any other uh, any other album. Certainly not mass
1: produced. I don't even understand how that works.
2: Yeah, um, I think it's just like they 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 widen up like the track that the that the that the regular needle would take around and then they they can put another set of grooves in there that that you can that like don't the starting point of that second set of grooves doesn't connect out to the outer grooves it's just you just find it by placing in whether it like whether something funky happens at the end or whether the grooves kind of come together to go into desert search for techno i'm not i'm not sure i've never had a, a physical copy of the record but
1: Huh. That's weird.
2: Are you a Zappa fan? I am. um, I am. Yeah.
0: That's another one. (laughs) There's like a connection here between like this genre of, I think, experimental slash, I don't know. Avant-garde. Yeah.
2: um, Which I think these guys fall into. uh, Yeah, I definitely describe them as avant-garde. And and when I listen to Zappa and Mr. Bungle, the same thing, it comes back to my answer to my friend, you know, I was like, I just, I find the grooves and then the rest, I just let wash over me Mm. and then, and then probably over time, like if it's good and not like not all of Zappa, I don't appreciate it at all. Um, you know, the, the stuff I like kind of tends to kind of fill in and, and groove some kind of neural pathways that then, that then connect with me. Um, you know, another Mike Patton band, Fantomas, which you mentioned, they have like their first album, which I've thought about recommending because it came out in ninety nine um, was like the the tracks are called like panel one, panel two, because it's supposed to be like a comic book. So it's very stop start. It's very like a riff for twenty five seconds, you know, and then they go on to the next track, you know, um, and that that works really well for me. Um the whole album is like 35 minutes so it's much more doable than this which even if you take away the bonus track it's still like 72 minutes. Um but then by their fourth album they went back to that style and like my review was like this is this is too much. You you get me into this groove for 15 seconds and I really start to enjoy it and then you you pull the rug out from under me. And so I, I like I don't know is it, it, I wonder if that's part of what's not catching with you the fact that like they don't stay in a groove that you're enjoying long enough, or I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, 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 I'm a big. I think if he sang more on the record, too, that was the other thing that kept throwing me is that he seems to do everything possible to not sing. <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes I want to, like, I know the dude could sing. I'm like, just give me a melody, give me something, you know. And it's almost like he's pushing you. I mean, which I can appreciate as artists. I feel like he's pushing you to the limit of like, okay, how far can I tease this out? How, what other stuff can I do? How, how far can I push you? I very much get that reaction when I listen to this, because I mean, there's not a lot or if any straight vocals on this record. Right. I mean, or if there right, are yeah. just
2: moments, Mary, Mary go bye-bye is, is the closest to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and if you're interested and I wouldn't, you know, um, but the the third album, California, came out in '99, and that one. So the three albums are incredibly different from each other. And the, the third album is like the closest they came to like a pop record. Like it's ten mm. tracks, it's forty five minutes, it's very song songy. Like it's just it's just it's just ten songs. So if and and it's they they stripped down the band. They're still um, quite experimental, but less avant garde. If that makes sense, like it's just mm. it's just it's just more song oriented.
1: I'm interested in checking that out. In reading the history of the band and in reading uh, the reviews for each record to get a taste of the evolution of the band, um, that's what kept coming up is that you almost have to go backwards with the band if you're you know, a more mainstream listener because starting at the beginning or with Disco Volante is going to be your more challenging records, whereas California is the more accessible one for a band but i think it said that mike Patton said though like it's accessible for us but if you're a no doubt fan in ohio it's not accessible <laughs> so i mean i mean i do also think... some no doubt <laughs> <laughs> so
2: yeah i mean california is not for everybody either right um they didn't have any 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 breakthrough heads. the The biggest problem I have with California, because I listened to all three uh, to prepare, and it's not produced as well. It's not engineered as well. Like the sound isn't as good as the first two albums. And like I think I think this one's amazing in that like it's it goes from genre to genre to genre. and every instrument is just, I think it's crystal clear. Um I think the drumming is phenomenal. I mean, the drummer to switch between those genres you know, from jazz to doom to thrash like that is, is incredible.
0: There's no doubts about the musicianship. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. yeah. No doubt. Mm.
0: <laughs> Boom! I love that they, they had a cassette release called OUA one eight. <laughs> I'm looking yeah. at their, uh, the bungle fever site right now.
2: Yeah. They had four, four demos before the first album. Yeah. The, there's, there was no, this band had no business being on on Warner brothers.
1: No, that's what's crazy is that they were on a major label. I I mean, like you said, it was, you know, one of those situations where it was the '90s and or just before the '90s, and you know, with him joining Faith No More, he had leverage to get Mr. Bungle signed. So I mean,
2: that's exactly what it was. I mean, that's that's exactly what it was. Yeah.
1: And it's interesting you say. You know, when you're listening, that you kind of lock into the grooves, and that's what uh is is sort of driving your ear um because i can i can pick up on that i think the thing is that i get a little distracted by some of the other instruments that are pushing against the rhythm melodically i would compare it to like
0: the, this the sound of glass breaking randomly yeah that might be it <laughs> kind of throws you out of the groove
1: but uh I guess in terms of the like experimental end of the spectrum, like I tend to lean more towards the ambient, like Brian Eno, you know that end of things. For okay. if I just want like the groove and just want sort of a a bed of music that's going to sort of lock into me uh, mentally without having to focus on lyrics, without having to. You know, listen to guitar riffs and whatnot, um, and I think that that end of it, where it wasn't a song, where it was more of a a challenging piece of music, is where I I kind of got more disoriented because um, I don't, you know, we've last year we had a a pretty simple year, not a simple year, we had an easier year with uh, we didn't have that many reviews where we were like this is terrible, like we we neither of us could find anything that we liked about the record. I think one of the few records that we actually did talk about it, where we only had one song that we liked was an album that I picked. So (laughs) it was my own fault. Uh, But in, in talking about like where I'm at with like an overall rating, like I, I can, you know, it's, it's not something that I would choose to listen to on a Saturday afternoon while I'm driving with the top down in the convertible. But there are particular songs that I do really enjoy and I I would like to go back to. And I definitely want to check out the California record. So I'd probably be at like an an EP rating um, for myself because um, I think there's a lot for someone who's got their toe in the experimental music end of the pool, but on the much more ambient side of it. Uh, whereas this, which incorporates, like you said, like doom and death metal and lots of heavier sounds, I'm not necessarily, I mean, I'm not listening to doom metal to begin with. So if you're going to play around with that next to a bossa nova riff, I'm, it's not going to swing me towards doom (laughs) at that point anyways. (laughs) So, but I do like quite a bit that's on here and I'm, I'm interested to check out more. So that's where I would be at Jay do you have a can you rate this <laughs>
0: well first I want to say this you know records like this they were significant I mean they oh they yeah tell the story they you know had factions of people that love the band like Scott they you know they I don't know that this band could have gotten a label deal in the 80s and I don't think they could have got a label deal, deal in the in the knots so it's good Pretty specific to the 90s. That said. <laughs> I knew uh, there was a that said coming up. It, you know, it is like as far away from what I can understand as you could have possibly imagined. So, yeah, I'm, I'm more of single just to know uh, like what the band, just for reference, like, oh, this is what this band is about. Okay. I don't quite get it, but now I at least have a point of reference of, of what Mr. Bungle is about.
1: Scott, I think what you said about. And you have a certain point in your life where the neural transmitters are firing correctly and you can sort of like accept something that's different. I think you're spot on with that because I've heard theories that kids who um, learn to read music at a particular age will always retain that ability. But as Mm. you grow older, it becomes harder and harder to understand the written, like notated music. And as someone who tried to learn notated music in college, I I fought and fought with it until I finally gave up. But there are kids who are like 12 years old that can read music perfectly. And I think I do think that your brain wires, you know, and it you hit certain things at certain points and for a band like this, like you're I think you're right in the sense that you have to be certain sort of like open to that for it to sort of connect with you and that has something to do with your development, you know, mentally in, in your, whatever you said, your brain, your, your neurons, uh, neural pathways, uh, because, uh, I don't know where I would have been because I, you know, back in, in college or not even college in high school, I was all over the map with listening to music. You know, I had like blood sugar sets, magic and physical graffiti and, uh, It takes a nation of millions to hold us back. And, you know, I'm listening to like all these disparate old, new, you know, hip hop, rap, funk metal. And I wonder if somebody handed me a Mr. Bungle CD at that point, if I would have been like, I don't understand what the hell's going on, or I'm in love with this band. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard. So I have to do some time traveling to figure that out. But.
2: yeah, I, I mean it, it clearly exists like you said for for written notation and also for language learning I mean yeah. in linguistics we call that the critical period, right um, you know and i I've just always thought like well, there's a reason that everybody thinks that the best music, you know quote unquote, everybody thinks that the best music they've ever heard came out when they were in high school, right and I just think there's there's something to that. Um, yeah and i'm I'm late to I was late to hip hop and I still, I've gained a greater appreciation for it, but I've I've like actually had to put effort into it. Where a lot of my peer group is just like, no, you know, it all started with, yeah, fear of a black planet, and took off from there. You know, and I think as far as my review, you know, I'm obviously at an album. If I had to cut something, it would be the bonus track, you know, the, the hidden track at the end, and then, you know, maybe everybody I went to high school with is dead. Um, you know, and and you might want to try listening to that selection yourself because. That is a very hard introduction. And as much as I love this album from the start, like it took me literally years to appreciate that first track. That is a really hard way to introduce a record.
1: Yeah, it is. And the drums on that are, you mentioned about the drummer being amazing. Drums on that are crazy. When If you yeah. like bo- drill down and just focus on the what's going on with the kick and the snare and stuff, it's insane. Um, I'll have to do that. The uh, folks over at Patreon, we need to... Uh, Remind everybody, you can join one dollar two fifty. Uh, we're talking about these records. We are uh, doing previews and putting up bonus content and stuff like that. So uh, join us, people like Scott. Uh, after twelve months, they get to review an album with us and uh, blow our little minds with uh, <laughs> with with crazy experimental music that only could have happened in the '90s, which is why. We like doing episodes like this because uh, like with our, this is going to be a weird transition, but like with our swing episode last year, uh, we're being exposed to uh, new music. Well, especially me. Jay had already heard it before, but uh, hadn't been back since uh, his initial uh, exposure. But uh, we get to tackle some stuff and some music that we didn't check out in the 90s. So we'll be doing that some more this year with some roundtables and some episodes coming up. Uh, in the next 12 months. Also, want to remind people they can go to Facebook, Twitter, and digmeoutpodcast.com. And of course, if you like what you heard, positive feedback, please leave it over at iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. And we have a bunch of new stuff in our Zazzle store. That's zazzle.com forward slash digmeoutpodcast. Lots of cool things for people to buy coffee mugs. I'm holding one right now. I'm drinking my Diet Coke out of my coffee mug right now that says Dig Me Out on it that's some uh that's some branding right there coffee mugs when you send me one of those jay you have you have the ability to go purchase it at the employer price you can just you can just pay the behind the scenes price don't you do know that oh that's right that's right <laughs> <laughs> if i buy it and send it to you then i have to pay like the the customer price
0: Well, you're already sending me that Docking record, so can you just throw the coffee mug in there, too?
1: (laughs) No, I cannot throw the... You fool. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun.
2: Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Yeah, it always is.
1: And I think that's it. Episode number one of season seven is in the books. Thanks, everybody, for listening. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.
0: Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com.